Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. What does it mean when you feel a sense of intimacy that isn't reciprocal? Today, I'd love to focus on an aspect of that question. What is intimacy in podcasting? Do you know me? Do you know things about me, perhaps intimate things? Do you know things about me very few people in my day-to-day life know? I would say the answer to most of those questions is probably somewhat. Usually knowing those things, experiencing that intimacy and that connection, it's usually something that allows folks in a relationship, which is not necessarily a romantic one. I mean like a friendship or any other kind of relationship, any relationship, to varying degrees predict what the other would likely do, be feeling, or enjoy. What would my friend enjoy when I see my friend on Saturday? What would this person likely do if I surprised them with their favorite kind of chocolate? How would they likely report feeling? These are sort of the social lubricants that we cultivate in a relationship to build a sense of of safety and connection that facilitates being increasingly vulnerable and intimate with each other, even if we're just talking about platonic friends. Is my platonic friend in a place where they feel safe enough to open up about that person that just died that they knew? Are they willing and trusting me? Are they willing to share that and trusting enough of me to hold that space for them and their feelings? I'm honored to introduce to you both one of my favorite short fiction podcasts, Escape Pod, that does short science fiction, and to the esteemed veteran podcasters that run it, S.B. Divya, Mer Lafferty, and Alistair Stewart, who are part of Escape Artists, which is an organization that produces lots of short fiction, either horror with Pseudopod or fantasy with Podcastle, or they also, of course, produce Escape Pod with science fiction. They are, in my opinion, promoting talented new authors, promoting diverse selection of writings, and also building the writing community. So I love what they're doing, and it's fantastic that I have the opportunity to interview them today, which incidentally, this is the two-year anniversary of Intimate Interactions. Hooray! We've been publishing every week for 104 weeks. This is episode 104. Who would have thought I would be interviewing veteran podcasters from a favorite podcast of mine on my little show? 
if you want to show me some love, feel free to post something on facebook.com slash intimate Victor, or you can catch up with me at intimate Victor on Twitter or Instagram. Or of course you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. And you can also find all of escape pod stuff over at escapeartists.net. But before we dive into the episode, I hosted a small mini interview session where I got to dive a little deeper with hosts SB Divya and Mer Lafferty. And this session coming up will be from SB Divya. So I will feature Mer's intro next episode. Enjoy. Welcome, Divya. Hey. Um, so I, I have here that you are a data scientist at Body Matter Incorporated, specializing in machine learning and digital signal processing. That is correct. <laughs> um, machine learning or neural networks and uh, officially computational neuroscience was what I did for my undergraduate degree and signal mm -hmm. processing and digital communications was what I did for graduate school. So that's been my primary career. Um, I didn't really uh, attempt to, to write and publish seriously until about 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. So writing has been uh, a second career for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. When I think about NaNoWriMo, I think about how much friends of mine have struggled to start. And when they have thrown themselves into NaNoWriMo so much, and for those folks that don't know, that's uh, National Novelists Writers Month, um, which is November. Um, and most folks, like, they will, they will get, like, not very far in it. And when I read that you had returned to work as a full-time engineer, you had a two-year-old, um, and you were taken down by norovirus at 40,000 words, I was like, geez, that is like, that is like an, you know, someone climbing Everest being like, you know, I, I really, I completely failed to climb the mountain. Like I got like 80% <laughs> of the way up. Yeah. I didn't pick the best time to become a writer, <laughs> all things considered. Um, I, I wish I had taken it seriously sooner, but uh, honestly, having a child really taught me the value of time and how much free time I'd had and didn't realize it before. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I had I had a small child who didn't sleep for many years and between work and taking care of her and the home, I was rapidly losing my sense of self and I needed something to reclaim. And that for me was science fiction writing and which I had started doing as a teenager and stopped for all practical purposes to be a scientist and an engineer. Mm -hmm. And so of all things, I decided that, you know, why not try NaNoWriMo for a month? Uh, my, my biggest problem prior to then would be starting stories and either the inner critic would get very loud and tell me how terrible it was or I would lose my thread. So I thought having this external impetus to just keep writing, you know, don't worry about the quality, just lay down the words might be a really good exercise. And it was until the norovirus hit and, and <laughs> took the child and myself down. And then I spent about a year being really depressed about the whole thing. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, you know, if you make it 80% of the way up to Everest and think mm -hmm. that that was your one shot at Everest, that's that's going to be kind of uh, disheartening for a little while, right? Yeah, that's fair. But, 
but I eventually kind of managed to turn my perspective around and, and look at it as a positive thing, frame it that way rather than a negative thing and dusted myself off and, and started again, but not NaNoWriMo. I will probably never do that again, honestly, <laughs> uh, just cause it's, it's not the way I work well. Um, but I did decide to start writing again and, um, decided to take it seriously for the first time in my life and try to actually get published. And uh, I've been very fortunate that it's worked out as well as it has. That is definitely a scary process, trying to go from being an amateur writer to someone trying to get published and paid even a paltry sum, like to be paid anything for writing. Yes, that's a privilege. Definitely. Um, and one that your podcast helps facilitate, which is great. Yeah, I love being able to pay it forward with new authors. Uh, There's nothing quite as exciting from the side of the desk, the editor's side, as publishing someone's first story. It's a great mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that makes um, the flash fiction contest so engaging is it's only 500 words and you get to look at lots and lots and lots of, of entries. I, I just imagine that's a lot of fun. That is a lot of fun. And that's one that uh, I don't actually have to wear the editor hat for. It is voted on by the members of our community forum and it's open to everybody. So it's it's fun to watch and watch people who otherwise might not try writing fiction, try their hand at it. And in fact, we're about to start um, our next flash fiction contest. Uh, the submissions will be open from April 1st to 15th. And mm -hmm. uh, you just have to register on our community forums. You can find the link on our website. And yeah, if you've ever wanted to try writing science fiction, I think that's a great place to start. Divya, you've done so much. So <laughs> you have a history of mountain biking, hiking, snowboarding, scuba diving, DJing, oil painting, and of course, reading and writing. I don't understand how you found time for all of that. I, I assume most of that was before you became a parent? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, most of that was before I became a parent. I'm, I've resumed some of it since being a parent uh, as my child has gotten old enough to come along with us on some of these adventures. We we are an only child family. Uh, I'm an only child. My spouse is an only child and we have chosen to have one child. So uh, that helps make it a little easier to get out and about but uh, no, I haven't been mountain biking properly in a very long time or backpacking, but we do, we do a decent amount of hiking um, and skiing and snowboarding. Uh, we went to the Great, Great Barrier Reef as a family and uh, found a way for my husband and myself to alternate snorkeling with our child or scuba diving. And um, yeah, I... I um, possibly what once upon a time would have been called a renaissance type person. I have a broad range of interests and I always have and have always been more of a breadth person than a depth person. I, I find mm. it very hard to obsessively focus on just one thing. I get bored and I want to do something new. So I tend to be a novelty seeker and an experience seeker as well. That has plagued me in my life. Um, I'm on the board of directors with Metro Vancouver Kink. Um, I have a relationship and intimacy podcast. I work as a stagehand running lights for plays at a local theater. 
and I have a freelance IT company for network break fix and for programming websites because I just cannot decide to be more than like a 75% depth human. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, if you find what makes you happy and if exploration is, is the answer, then I don't see any harm in it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of how I've looked at it as well, but it can be a little disorienting in terms of trying to find a sense of direction. Yeah. I think, uh, I do sometimes find it challenging to figure out where to focus my time because it's split in many different ways. But I'm not sure I would have it the other way. You know, when I do try to yeah. just buckle down and do one thing, I don't necessarily enjoy that one thing quite as much as when I have a few different things I'm juggling. It's mm-hmm. to be careful not to pick Juggle up too, too many. many things. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for such a great intro. Um, you are the author of Contingency Plans for the Apocalypse and Other Possible Situations, as well as the author of Runtime plus tons of short stories. All of them are available on your website at eff-words.com, so fwords.com. Okay, now let's get to the main session where we talk about the asymmetrical intimacy of being a public figure. So I'll welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with S.B. Divya, Mer Lafferty, and Alistair Stewart. I'm super excited to have you folks on the show today. Thank you so much for coming and calling in. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. Let's get started with the questions. So I'm really curious about dissecting the intersections of intimacy and, I mean, I wouldn't call it celebrity, but the the sense of being seen online and especially with podcasting, having a very, um, not exactly one-way relationship, but having a relationship that definitely has a sort of asymmetry or power dynamic in that one is presenting oneself um, quite strongly and then... Um, the audience is simply taking it in and it can sometimes be quite challenging to sort of gauge what they're taking in and how much they're taking in. So I'm curious to start with if you folks would be interested in answering um, what the most intimate part of podcasting is for you. Can I take this one first? Yeah, go for it. Um, Well, I did meet my partner doing it. Um, My my partner, Marguerite Kanner, who is now also now co-owns the company with me, was a pseudopod listener. And uh, she lived in California, and I lived in in the middle of a rainstorm somewhere in England. And uh, (laughs) about nine years ago, I had a really bad day. And uh, I did one of the two things which Brits never, ever do, because we're conditioned to just suppress all our emotions and wait to be dead. (laughs) And um, I talked about it. I, 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 I tweeted something back before Twitter was a hell site about how I'd had a really bad day. And this complete stranger DMing went, do you want to talk about it? And I said, yeah, okay. And nine years later, we've we've been together pretty much ever since. We co-own a company. Um, she did seven years as an editor, as chief editor at Cast of Wonders. I think I may have just broken through my decade barrier at Pseudopod. And I mean, there there is no way to say this without it sounding hyperbolic. But podcasting changed my life in every single way, and it did so because it encourages and rewards to some extent honesty because there's so little to it it's just you a microphone and anyone who's listening Mm. thank you for that like very succinct kind of uh encapsulating of a very complicated multifaceted question Um, thank you yeah um would either of of the other folks like to jump in 
I can. Um, my thing is uh, similar to Alistair's, only without the personal intimacy, but instead professional. Um, I had not sold any stories at all when I started podcasting, and um, looking back on it, I had I had developed a rather savvy marketing plan of getting to know authors by interviewing them, which would later help my career down the road. But at the time, I just thought, wow, authors like to talk about themselves and they'll be on my crappy little podcast. That's so cool. <laughs> but then later on, as I got to know people, um, you know, it's, it's important to write well, but you can't discount the power of networking in, well, probably any field. And so when I started getting ready to publish, I already knew a lot of people. And if I didn't know them, they'd probably heard of me. So, um, you know, I didn't think I would build my writing career podcasting, but that's exactly what happened. Wow. Thank you. Uh, Divya, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I think I have a maybe a slightly different entry point into podcasting because I came into Escape Pod more already having formed my identity as a writer. I came in as a slush reader, so reading for submissions and having zero experience in terms of public speaking of any kind. I mean, I didn't even have leadership roles in my engineering job. So getting in front of a microphone was an exercise in vulnerability for me. You know, um, I don't know if you know Brene Brown and kind of her, mm -hmm. uh, her TED Talks on making yourself vulnerable. And that's really kind of what it was uh, for me was I'm putting my voice out there for complete strangers, potentially lots of them, to hear uh, me and my thoughts. And um, that's it's definitely an interesting form of intimacy. Um, mm -hmm. As Al said, it's it's you and your microphone, but at least in my case, I'm very aware that it's also an audience of people hearing me for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. So what excites each of you folks about podcasting when you get up in the morning and you have a podcast booked to record that day? What I'm curious what sort of themes or what feelings you're experiencing towards podcasting and sharing with your audience about yourself. I found that the less I think about it, the better <laughs> it's uh I remember I was having dinner with a friend at a con and we'd met through my podcast and he was a professional in science fiction before I'd ever published anything. And he mentioned something about, he was listening to this episode and I got this like panicky feeling that people actually listen to my stuff. And that was, you know, that, that sometimes tends to put the brakes on. Because I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, God, what if I say something stupid? But if I don't think about the fact that people are listening, I can just be honest. And the vulnerability that Divya was talking about comes through. But if I think, oh, I have to do a professional-sounding thing, right? don't worry, Al. With Escape Pod, it's a little different. With, <laughs> I try to sound professional on Escape Pod. But, uh, you know, but also it's, it's confronting yourself with the numbers is just daunting to me. So I usually try right. not to. I just try to uh, have like an idea of somebody I'd like to talk to in my mind and I talk to them. Mm. 
I think for me, at least with uh, Escape Pod, my favorite aspect is the fact that we get to bring fiction to life in a modality that it otherwise doesn't get. So it's one thing to read a story. It's a completely different thing to have a story read to you. Mm -hmm. It's a different experience. It can often be a different interpretation of the story than uh, what the reader or even the author necessarily intended. So I think that that added dimensionality to me is is the most fun part of of this particular podcast. Mm -hmm. I think for me, what it comes down to, this, this is a slightly obtuse metaphor, but I'll, I'll be relatively brief. Um, during his his time as a professional wrestler, Phil Phil Brooks, uh, more commonly known known as CM Punk, um, got massively into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and as we found out from anyone who follows his UFC career, perhaps not massively enough. Um, <laughs> and. Phil talked an awful lot uh, at the time about, because people would regularly ask him, you do this a lot, what, what belt are you? He said, I'm a white belt, I travel around too much to grade. And I find myself thinking a lot about the concept of the eternal white belt, of someone whose job it is just to learn. And I find something inspiring and incredibly reassuring in that, and that's a very big part of podcasting for me. As an author, one of the reasons I do so much nonfiction is in past areas of my life, I've had almost no confidence in doing fiction. That's in the process of changing, but nonfiction has been a, and continues to be an incredibly useful school for me. Every week, Sudapa presents me with this piece of fiction in a genre which, for years, I lied to myself about not really, you know, I wasn't really a horror guy. I was into spaceships. It just took me a long time to figure out the spaceships all had monsters on them. <laughs> and... I'm handed the story and I have to learn about it and talk about it and break it down and contextualize it, whether it's the controversial or troubling elements or what works for me or what doesn't. And that is different every single time. And I, I ran the numbers today, actually, because I, I mentioned it in my, in my weekly newsletter. And I have presented so far 642 episodes of Pseudopod. And wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm coming up on, on 666 and I have to do something about that. Um, and I found something new in every single one of those stories. And I love that. That's definitely my favorite thing. Great. Um, so I feel like I'm I'm kind of giving you a, a loaded or, or a, a, um, a, a lead question, but do you consider what you create art and why or why not? I have so many opinions about this, but I'm aware <laughs> I've literally just talked. So, if, so you, you two go ahead and I'll, I'll come in at the end. I want to hear your opinions, Al. Go for it. <laughs> Everything's art. If sure. you create something, it's art. Um, the the really fugly but delicious ciabatta bread I made for the first time ever in the earlier in the week, that's art. The <laughs> tortillas where I discovered that it's almost physically impossible to correctly roll them out in a circle the first time, art. Fugly art, certainly, but art nonetheless. <laughs> um, it's all art. Everything from a correctly executed martial arts move to tiramisu, to, to fiction, to music, all of it. And podcasting is one of the weirdest arts, but I also think one of the most versatile and important. Thank you. So, so I was at a conference on AI and ethics recently where one of the panels... Um, had a group of artists talking about whether it's art and what kind of art it might be when 
an artificial intelligence software or you know neural network something mm-hmm. like that produces a poem or an image and could that be considered art and one of the panelists said no she didn't think that would be art because it has no larger context it's not an interpretation of subjective reality or experience it's just an amalgamation of other art and so from that standpoint i think what we do is definitely art i mean it's mm-hmm. 100% as al said contextualization of the story in our host segments and obviously the the fiction itself mm-hmm. is the author's um representation of something that affected them in life mhm i i agree quite strongly with both of those sentiments that not only is um, the story art, of course, but the interpretation of the story and the contextualization is itself art. And there is an art to podcasting. It's, it's not strictly how the story is framed, but the end segment where folks get to talk a little bit about why the story was important or how it resonated for them. I think that might be the most enjoyable and delicious part of escape pod for me, because not only did I just get this amazing story time, but afterwards I get to share it with someone. And there's something about that process of the sharing that to me is like just such an essential part of how I experience art. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And me too. But we haven't heard from Murr yet. And I'm super curious if Murr wants to volunteer an answer to this Um, question. It, it, I mean, it has to be art because the, we provide stories and you can't say that, that literature is not art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when people get into the arguments about it, they're actually fussing about the medium. And in science fiction, we've heard a lot of people fuss about podcasting for quite some time because it is new <laughs> and scary. But um, Fake laugh, hiding real pain. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, Al. Um, but it's it's just if people want to fuss about the medium, it's it's that's just wasted air because we are bringing uh, literature across via audio, and that's that. I mean, you can't say an audiobook's art and a podcast isn't. That's just right. I don't know, but I, I also try not to think about that because that also would stymie me. And I realize I'm answering all my questions like that, so I got to stop. But it's uh, <laughs> sitting down to go. Am I doing art? Is I just sit there, sit there and go. Well, I don't know. Am I? And then you know, I really just got to get the work done. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for that um, great banter and camaraderie. I appreciate that. Um, So how do you decide what you want to share of yourself and how much of your lives you choose to make public in your role as podcasters and hosts? I'm just super curious, like how you decide what you want to keep private versus what you want to showcase very openly versus what you allow to be shared about yourselves. Yeah. Discuss thoughts. I think when it comes to... Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> okay. But I think when it comes to bringing in other people, you need to be careful. Um, you know, we're not anywhere near high profile uh, people on the internet, but we, I have been careful talking about my family mm-hmm. and as, especially as my daughter's gotten older, I, I uh, 
while I want to talk about her as much as I can because I'm a proud mother, I mm -hmm. don't. And I try not to say – I don't think I've ever said her school online. Um, it's, it's like – it's funny because the facts are probably easier to find than my innermost feelings. But, you know, people can use my innermost feelings against me only to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, you know, if, if somebody wanted to do my family harm and they found out, like, my daughter's school or something, that's, that's – a lot worse. So when it comes to actual facts about my life and the people in it, I try to keep that quiet. Like recently I had a family member in the hospital. I didn't say who it was or mm -hmm. why they were there, mm -hmm. but you know, that, that was as, as, as personal as I would like to go. But when it comes to like, I'm absolutely gutted because I got a rejection or this story really meant a lot to me because of something that happened in my past and here's what it was. Um, that's actually easier for me. Hmm. I actually pretty much agree with everything that Mara said. That's kind of the, a similar filter that I apply in terms of what I choose to share and what I keep to myself. Mm -hmm. I, I have no audio poker face at all as I found out, um, several years ago uh, back back when I lived in York uh, I briefly worked for the National Health Service in, in an office in a pyramid which was partially underground I'm not kidding and um, I got a lift into the into the office every morning with, with a, a friend and I'd gone through a couple of fairly serious life changes about three months prior to that we were working about three months ahead of that time and she, she was listening to the show so Every morning at about 6 a.m., I would get in the car with a cup of coffee and a bacon sandwich, and we'd talk about it as we drove over to Harrogate. And then one morning, I got in the car, and she looked at me. She's like, Jesus, are you all right? And I was like, I'm like, what? And then I thought for a second and went, what episode are you on? I just, <laughs> yeah, that was a really bad month. Um, don't worry, I'm fine now. And I processed an awful lot of stuff through a couple of really very traumatic periods in my life through the show. Never consciously. It wasn't, hello, welcome to Alistair's Trauma Hour. But <laughs> the thing with horror is it takes you to the edge and then it walks you back. And it's one of the reasons why I think it's a fundamentally misunderstood in a lot of cases and fundamentally hopeful um, genre. And I, that was about as, as open as I got. I mean, I'm I'm very much the same as as Mer and Divya. I'm always careful not to mention where I live, uh, although England is 11 feet wide. So if you're on one side, <laughs> of it, you can probably. <clears throat> and I find this whole area really interesting. Uh, Will Williams and um, a whole bunch of of other. Uh, podcast journalists, including the folks at Podcast Report and Bellow Collective uh, and Ellie, who tweets under the name Showmark, S-H-O-M-A-R-Q, have done some really interesting work on parasocial relationships and how they, they're starting to naturally generate around podcasts now. And these are relationships where there is a sense of intimacy that is not there. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm the lines which we have to draw and the lines which in a lot of cases, because bear in mind, Escape Pod's been around 15 years. Mm -hmm. The lines we kind of instinctively drew before we knew what we were doing have actually helped an awful lot um, to to ensure that, you know, we don't cross over into the darker areas of that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'll, I'll wrap this up quickly because I'm, I'm aware I'm, I'm talking an awful lot. The other interesting perspective I have on this is I was uh, the seasoned villain on an excellent um, horror audio drama called the, called the Magnus Archives. 
Um, I, w I was Peter Lucas, the season four villain. Well, they claimed he was the villain. Personally, I think he was the unsung hero. And Mag Magnus is immense. It's one of those shows which in about six months, I confidently predict is going to be absolutely everywhere. And I've never encountered a fan community this large and this positive before. And it's one of those things where it's sufficiently large that I'll, I'll mention it in conversation with people who I know don't listen to podcasts. And they'll go, wait, you were on the Magnus archives. My dad listens to that. And that sensation of not so much our side of the parasocial relationships starting to change, but the map upon which the parasocial relationships extrude into modern culture, mm. that's definitely changing. And we're going to be in some really interesting territory there in, in about a year's time, I would guess. And as, I think especially with, <clears throat> especially with the technology that allows us to engage with audiences, like Discord, for example. Oh, yeah. The, the lines between community peer relationships and engaging with audience start to blur a little bit? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's very much an evolution of Old West podcasting. I mean, I own the company mm -hmm. because just over a decade ago, when Lur announced she was stepping down from being co-editor of Pseudopod, I did one of the least British things I've ever done and went, I volunteer, can I come? <laughs> and Sarah at the time went, yeah, okay. And here we are. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's this industry, this medium changes how people interact with one another. And I am quite the fan. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I noticed it's so it's so interesting really, that you mentioned that you're not humans with like a lot of like cachet in the sense of being super visible online. But I think mm -hmm. niche niche communities bring out this really interesting thing where a specific subset of that population may view you that way. Oh, sure. No, no, I understand that. I'm just saying that I, I don't, I, I don't really believe that I have tons of rabid fans that would go to <laughs> extreme lengths to harm my family sure. for some bizarre Jodie Foster attention grabbing <laughs> uh, reason. But um, just that, uh, you know, we are well known enough to mm -hmm. where I try to be careful. But yeah, I mean, I've been at a convention before and just standing in an elevator and somebody looks at my badge and then starts talking to me about a skate pod. And that's surprising. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's the, it's the fun level of uh, quote unquote fame where if you go to a convention, then there will be people who want to see you. Mm -hmm. But if you go to the grocery store, you don't have to worry who's watching you buy the cheap wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's excellently put. Um, in fact, you didn't, didn't you win a Hugo Award for Ditch Diggers? Yes, yes. Matt and I won uh, two years ago. Okay, all right. I just, yeah, throw that out there. Um, so... <laughs> so not, not well, the... what's funny is is it's got significantly fewer listeners than my other podcast, I Should Be Writing. And that could be because I Should Be Writing has been around for so much longer. But uh, every once in a while, I look at the numbers and I'm just baffled. But Ditch Diggers gets like has a small but very dedicated following. So uh, sometimes those are the best. That's I guess that's what helps. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, Alistair, you write for Ditch Diggers fairly often, don't you? 
And not as often as, as I had planned to. 2019 kind of coshed me in the back of the head a few times. Uh, yeah, I, I do pretty regular kind of pro stuff for him, and uh, there's a couple of things that should be going live relatively soon over that. It's really fun, too. I mean, it, it demands a different energy to a lot of my other stuff in that having to do business journalism, which is essentially what Ditch Diggers is from my point of view, mm. um, means I, I get to be slightly less cuddly, which is always always nice to, to just try on for size. I get to be a little bit more hard-edged. Not that I could ever compete with, you know, the, the hard-traveling heroes that are, Mel Lafferty and Matt Wallace. I, I will remain their, <laughs> their bouncy, chirpy, comedy British sidekick. But I could be just a little bit snarkier over there. <laughs> okay. And we welcome it. It's fun. People get startled when Al and I get uh, mean and Matt backs off. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. You know, when, when Murr gets the crazy eyes, just run. Just, <laughs> just run. Wonderful. And seeing as I'm giving shout-outs right now, I might as well mention that Contingency Plans for the Apocalypse and Other Possible Situations also just came out in 2019. That's Di one of Divya's books. Did you want to talk about that a little? Um, sure. That is a collection of uh, almost all of my short fiction to date, or at least a, a healthy portion of it. Um, it came out in India, actually. We're still uh, uh, casting about for who will publish and distribute it in the rest of the world. But mm -hmm. uh, as a fun coincidence... The editor of Hashat India reached out to me while I was in India a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. um, had come across some of my short fiction and wanted to uh, boost my visibility in the subcontinent over there, mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. Um, it's, you know, the genre fiction is burgeoning in various parts of Asia including China, and now I think it's growing as a market in India, mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, the other continents. So thank sure. you. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Yep. It's great in the sense that I grew up in the U.S., but my first five years were in India. Most of my family's there. Mm -hmm. And being able to share my fiction with that audience um, definitely felt like a privilege. That is, that is really incredible. I also identify as a, a third culture kid. My father is British, but was born in Canada and raised in Canada with two British parents, one of whom was born in Canada and raised in Canada to two British parents, one of whom was, and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm like fourth or fifth generation Canadian um, slash, I guess, ethnically 50% British. That's a weird one to think about. Um, but also um, my mother was Indian and is a first generation immigrant to Canada. So that parenting environment was an interesting train wreck to observe. But, oh, no. Because <laughs> well, it's as, you, as one would imagine, it's such radically different cultures of, of standards of what is appropriate or what is acceptable or how to go about solving problems or how much to engage with your children in decision-making when they're teenagers. Like, those sorts of things are very radically different, I think. Um, yep. Certainly amongst my father and my mother's family of origin cultures. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, I've noticed as well that there is um, an awesome Indian flavor to some of the stories. Like, I think there is, I'm going to have to wing this, but I think there was a life and death aboard the Indian battle station um, story that yes. was recently published. And there was an amazing one about um, gi giants. Is that the same one or is that a different one? That's a different one, isn't it? 
there's there's an amazing one about giants that save a planet and a species from near yes. extinction. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that one. I think that was from a few years ago. I'm trying to... Oh, Karma in the Clouds, I think? That sounds Something right. Like that. that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, I really enjoyed that story as well. Um, yeah, I'm glad. Uh, we, we're trying to branch out and represent uh, more cultures and more viewpoints in Escape Pod, for sure. Mm -hmm. Not just the Indian ones, but even from other parts of the world. Sure. That makes sense. So that brings us to our final question of the session, which is, um, what has your time on Escape Pod taught you about life? <laughs> so not, uh -huh. not a hard one or anything. Uh, I, I've taken away a few lessons, not all of them directly related to podcasting, but uh, Escape Pod's really the first time I've been in any kind of leadership capacity. So I've definitely had to do a lot of learning about um, managing people, managing responsibilities. Um, and obviously I've had to, as I said earlier, learn how to talk into a microphone, which is definitely its own skill. Um, and opening myself up in a lot of ways to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. Still very valuable and useful skills. For sure. I, I think it's funny hearing her say that because uh, Divi is so much tougher than I am when it comes to, you know, making hard decisions and leading people. Um, uh, mine, I don't know. It's it's sometimes you can get in your head where, oh, I'm going to make a podcast and I'm going to put it out there and I hope people like it. And then, oh, I'm going to need something from someone else for this podcast, um, an interview or a, uh, story or something. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking in the terms of I'm doing this and, you know, Divi and I and the team are doing this and we're putting the podcast out to the listeners. But what we don't realize is we're also affecting the authors mm. and, you know, it's like, I, I just like, okay, yes, we want to accept your story. And we're thinking about the production and the narration. And we just get back that, oh my God, this is my first pro sale. Thank you so much. And mm -hmm. then, you know, they, they go off and they, they tell people. And then there's like online communities that are like, oh my God, that's so awesome. And I'm like, oh, right. We're, we're, we're really affecting authors' lives, especially now that we're um, SIFWA prorated, yeah. which means if you sell to us, then you are by the rules of Science Fiction Writers of America, a, a pro writer and so um it's it's and, and it feels good knowing that that you know you're affecting people both on the 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 listener standpoint but also you're affecting people's careers bringing their stories to the listener mm -hmm. and and you do pay full market rate if i'm not mistaken yes i mean that that's really incredible that you've created a community um, that is able to support authors and new authors so, like, incredibly. I think it's it's really valuable to the community. Thank you. You're welcome. Alistair, would you like to, have you selected which of your things you have learned about life that you would like to talk about? Yes, very much so. <laughs> um, also, real quick, and, and not to, to dump on Divya in any way, but, but believe uh -oh. me, from an external point of view, Divya is 
Divya is is absolutely um, just a, a badass. A few years ago at Worldcon, yeah. she basically took Marguerite and I to one side and went, so I think I can help with the skate pod, and I think you should start moving things around so I could end up being one of the people in charge. And laid out this perfectly realized kind of six or seven point plan. And we, we were at yes, like 30 seconds in, but the, but the two minutes that followed it were even better. So, <laughs> you know, one of one of my big take homes from all of this is is trust your people. If you get the right people around you, and believe me, I have, they will just do extraordinary work. And Divya and Mer never cease to astonish me in absolutely the best of ways. And that actually kind of springboards off into the thing I have learned from Escape Pod, which is, I have problems with um, fandom as a community. I've had a, a string of often unintentionally negative, but often it's felt uniformly pretty negative experiences with fandom as, as a whole. And the one place that has never happened is podcasting. And specifically, the one place that's never happened is with escape artists. When I talk talk in the past, as I have, about how escape artists is is one of my kind of cultural homes, it is. This is one of the places where the fan community, for me, is at its absolute best. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to be one of the people steering that into the next century. Well, thank you so much to all of you for getting together and being willing to contribute your thoughts and ideas about this. I've really appreciated um, hosting you. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been an absolute delight. Certainly. Thank you so much for having us. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.